couple stories from Getaway before we take our seats. Um, we should just say a massive thank you to all our youth leaders and um, uh, people that were involved in that. But also, uh, at the same time, we want to welcome you. If this is your first time at Icon Church, you're either in the room or you're joining us online, and because uh, we're live in all of our campuses this morning. So come on, let's welcome anyone that's new, but also giving it up for our youth leaders. <clears throat> and you can take your seats. Thank you so much. I'm doing a series when I speak and when I speak to the whole church called The Future of Everything. And the reason I decided to do that series was really just because many people were saying post-pandemic that, uh, and I kind of, I'm ready to stop using that phrase, aren't you? But post-pandemic, the world in the future will be totally different to the world in the past. And I think there's some truth in that for many things. And so I thought, why don't we talk about the future of everything? And uh, because there are some things that actually will last through all the generations. And so I just want to welcome all our campuses. It's so good to be sharing with you today. And I want to talk about the future today, the future of the Bible. The future of the Bible. Some people say the Bible hasn't got a future that actually it's an ancient piece of literature that should be left to the archives and done away with. But I want to talk about the future of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever had your faith in the Bible challenged. I was thinking about the first time, I guess, my faith in the Bible was challenged. I was 15 years of age and in a biology lesson. Remember biology? And uh, I had a teacher, everybody liked this teacher, and... um, I knew his parents went to the Methodist church in the village where I was, and I'd heard that he and his wife, although they lived in another place, went to that Methodist church too. And so I liked this teacher. I thought he might be a bit of an ally, another Christian, another follower of Jesus. Maybe, you know, his faith will come through in his teaching. And uh, maybe, you know, I'd become a follower of Jesus a couple of years earlier and I'd got some friends and I was trying to talk to them about Jesus, talk to them about church and they didn't have any interest. And I thought maybe I've got an ally here. Maybe he'll do something, say something in class that will spark some conversations I can have with my friends. So this day I'm in biology class and this teacher is talking about the human body. And he begins to talk about ribs. What an exciting subject ribs are. Especially when you barbecue them, but not human ones. And he says this, despite what it says in the Bible, men and women have the same number of ribs. Despite what it says in the Bible. I sat there and I thought, this teacher is dissing the Bible. I thought he was a Christian. I thought he was an ally. I I shouldn't have done it, so I raised my hand and asked, Sir, does the Bible actually say that men and women have a different number of rims? He replied, You're a Christian. He outed me right there and then to everyone in the class. I mean, I was happy for my close friends to know I was a Christian, but just in front of the class, he outed me. You're a Christian. Haven't you heard that the Bible says... In that, and he quoted Genesis chapter 2 and verse 21, and it says this, God caused man 
to fall into a deep sleep, and he took a rib from the man to make woman. I went home that day and I thought, did the Bible get it wrong? Is the Bible trustworthy? I was worried. Of course, my faith in Jesus wasn't shaken, but my, my trust in the Bible was like, was first time it had been challenged. Over the years, I guess my trust in the Bible and my, the, uh, the faith of other people, uh, their faith in the Bible has been challenged numerous times and because of numerous things that the Bible says. Here's a few. Some have been my own questions as I've read the scriptures, but many have been the questions that people have brought to me now for like almost 40 years of pastoring in different contexts. Questions that have been the result of their journey or their experience. Sometimes they've been the questions of friends or colleagues at work or members of their family, or sometimes they've been questions because of something they read on the internet. Page one. The science of the creation stories is not compatible with what modern science now believes about how the world was formed. Did the Bible get it wrong? Page three. Paul, have you noticed that on page three of the Bible, there's a talking snake? (laughs) Noah's Ark. Did Noah really get every species on a boat, male and female pairs, for six months? And if he did, what did they do with all the elephant poo? (laughs) Just keeping it real, just keeping it real. The Bible demeans women. It gives all the power to men. The Bible is just anti-science, unscientific. Doesn't the Bible endorse slavery? Does the Bible teach that the earth is only 10,000 years old or less, even? The Bible talks about angels, demons, spirit beings, a world we can't see. Page three again. Problematic page three, isn't it? There's this flaming, flashing sword stopping people going into a garden. Is this a religious book you've got or a Marvel comic? What about dinosaurs? Great question. Did Adam have a belly button? People come back from the dead in the Bible and it's not just Jesus. Why does the Bible say don't eat prawns? I like prawns. Me too, especially in garlic butter. God says don't kill, but then he seems to kill people quite a bit in the Old Testament. Did God command genocide? Why does the Bible say don't touch the skin of a dead pig? I love crackling. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Jeannie makes some of the best crackling around. The Bible mentions unicorns a few times. Does the Bible actually believe in unicorns? On the last pages of the Bible, there's this beast. It's a seven-headed dragon. Do you believe that? Or maybe for you, it's been the whole idea of God taking on human flesh, the eternal, the divine, becoming one of us, and that same God dying. How does an eternal God die? We've just had Easter, haven't we? And uh, we're just at the end, really, of our Easter holidays 
here. And I was just reflecting about Easter's about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, his ascension into heaven. And we've been singing about how he is the Lord now and he reigns now and that he's coming again. And I was just reflecting, I absolutely believe this stuff. I absolutely believe it. For some, that's a challenge. The wars of Jericho. No one has ever found archaeological evidence that this actually happened. Some universities still teach this. However, in 1990, the New York Times published an article from the University of Toronto. Here's an excerpt. A study of ceramic remnants, royal scarabs, carbon-14 dating, seismic activity in the region, and even some ruins of, a tum- of tumbled walls produce what is being called impressive evidence that the fortified city was destroyed in the late Bronze Age, about 1400 BC. Dr. Bryant Wood said this, when we compare the archaeological evidence at Jericho with the biblical narrative describing the Israelite destruction, we find quite a remarkable agreement. From ribs and belly buttons to more serious questions like, is the Bible anti-women? Is it anti-science? Does the, this God kill people? The Bible can be problematic. The magician, Penn Gillette, one half of the duo Penn and Teller said this, reading the Bible is the fast track to atheism. Someone else said, the road to atheism is littered with Bibles that have been read from cover to cover. That's a guy called Andrew L. Schneidel. No doubt about it, the Bible poses many questions for us, and maybe you've considered some of them, and maybe not. One Christian professor wrote a series of blog posts and podcasts called Me and My Strange Bible. However, many of the questions and objections I mentioned are fairly, easy, fairly easily explained, although some are more complex. And obviously, we've not got time to go into all of those in detail, too. But one example, let's go back to my biology lesson and this rib. You see, the objection of the teacher that day is fairly easily explained. On a simple level, the word rib in the Bible can mean side. In fact, it's often used as side and not rib. So the Bible never says that men have less ribs than women. We all have 24, 12 pairs. But the Bible does say that woman is taken from the side of man. More importantly, this is the Bible's way of saying we are two halves of one whole, and that whole being humanity. That humanity, God created them, male and female. On a deeper level, Genesis 2, where that verse is found about ribs, is all about the glory and beauty of humanity, and that that glory is male and female united and completely equal. They are two parallel sides that together express the glory of God. In fact, when God says, The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The word helper there does not mean assistant or servant. It's the Hebrew word, Ezer, which is at least meaning an equal. 
In fact, God is called our easer. God is our helper. And of course, God is our superior. On an even deeper level, because the Bible is quantum, there's simple level and then there are deeper levels. It may even be a subversive text against male dominance and mistreatment of women that was happening in the time when it was written. Many of our problems with the Bible come because we don't know how to deal with it and we misread it and therefore we misunderstand it. And this has always been a problem. Jesus said to a group of teachers, they were called the Sadducees. These were people who were explaining the Bible, copying the Bible. In Matthew 22, 29, Jesus replied to the religious teachers, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. It's always been problematic. So this morning, let's answer two questions this morning. What do we need to realize about the Bible in order not to misread or misinterpret it? And what does God intend the Bible's role to be in our lives? Let's just start there and answer those two questions, okay? I'm teaching today and I hope that this will help everyone. The first thing, I think it's important for them to understand, the Bible is not one book, it's a library. I want you to imagine when you have your Bible that you're not just opening a book, but you're walking into a library of books, 66 books to be exact in our version. You see, they've been printed into one volume. And when we come to the Bible, I think the guys will throw an image of a library up. We need to consider we are coming to a library. And any library is diverse. And the Bible is diverse. It contains writings of history, poetry. There are law books in the library, ones I never opened in any other library. There are books of full of parables, stories. There are song books and there are books of prophecy. It's diverse. This library of diverse books was written in three different languages over a 1500 year period by a whole bunch of different people from different cultures. Not just a different culture to ours, but different cultures to each other. Our Western and modern mindset approaches the Bible as one book, written with one style, but it was written with many styles. Just think about the people also who wrote it. It was written by people from all walks of life. Shepherds, farmers, tent makers, doctors, fishermen, priests, philosophers, and kings. A whole variety of different people. And so we don't approach, even in our modern world, we don't approach poetry the same way as we approach history. We don't approach parable, story, the same way that we approach law. It's written in all kinds of styles and also reflects all types of human communication, including hyperbole or exaggeration. This week has been a good week for me, because I'm an Arsenal fan. <laughs> Sorry, Jake Lloyd, I thankfully can't see you because of the lights, but midweek, Arsenal beat Chelsea 4-2, and yesterday we beat Manchester United 3-1. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something today. 
we destroyed them. But they still exist. But we destroyed them. I hope you're getting my point. There are passages in the Old Testament where it says we completely destroyed them all. Every man, every woman, every animal, every child. They were all destroyed. And then you read the next chapter and they still exist. It's hyperbole. Did I mention Arsenal beat Chelsea 4-2 and Man United 3? Anyway, there's lots of it in the Old Testament. Here's, a, here's an image. This is, uh, some of you will have seen this maybe before. This is about how the Bible speaks about itself or the cross-references that are within it. The bar graph that runs along uh, the bottom and those white lines are every chapter in the Bible and the length of those chapters. And then the arcs are every time the Bible quotes itself somewhere else. And although you won't be able to recognize this, there are 63,779 arcs. 63,000 times the Bible quotes itself, even though it was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors in three different languages. There's something special coming, going on. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Romans 15, 4. It's a library of books, but it's a unique library because all the books fit together, ultimately telling one story. And the Apostle Paul says here that this library of books teaches us how to endure. Because we'll all face challenges in life. Humanity faces challenges. And it teaches us to endure, to keep going. And because God is for us, teaches us to enjoy. Paul says it provides encouragement. And the word encouragement means to put courage in. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in life we just need some encouragement, don't we? We need some courage. And this is, this is because not only is God for us, but God is with us. And I don't know if you've ever felt that. You've had a difficult, challenging season in your life. And you've been going through some stuff because we all go through some stuff. But somehow you felt a peace and a strength. And it's almost come out of nowhere. What is that? Well, let me tell you this morning, it's God. Let me tell you today, it's God. It happened over and over and over in the Bible, and now it's happening to you and to me. And the Apostle Paul says, it gives us and teaches us about endurance and gives us encouragement so that we can have hope. Hope that things can change. I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but God this morning wants to give you a dose of hope. Hope in your life. What do you need hope for today? Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're in one of our campuses today up there in Stocksbridge or Rotherham, Sheffield or Derby or right here in Chesterfield. God is a God of hope. He's for you and he's with you and he wants to give you hope today. So that's the first thing. The Bible is not one book. It's a library of books and it's very helpful. Secondly, 
The Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. Can I say that again? The Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. We've already established the Bible was written in a very different culture to our own and at very different times. And understanding that can help us approach some of the complexity or challenges that the Bible poses. Some people thought differently then. Things, cultures were different then. But that's no different to today. I want you to think about this law. This is a law, an actual law in Arizona. It is illegal to have your donkey sleep in a bathtub. Now, if you read that in the Bible, you'd be thinking, what on earth is going on? But this is a 2022 law in Arizona. In fact, the law actually says this. It is against the law to have a sleeping donkey in your bathtub after 7 p.m. Just imagine a donkey in your bathtub at home right now. It seems crazy, right? A bit crazy like don't touch the skin of a dead pig or don't eat prawns. Until you know the backstory. You see, in Arizona, this law was brought into effect due to a public menace case in 1924. A merchant used to allow his donkey to sleep in a bathtub. The town was flooded when the local dam broke and the donkey was washed a mile down the valley in this bathtub. The donkey survived, but locals spent a lot of time, an awful lot of money and manpower to save the donkey. So Arizona passed the law. It is against the law to have a sleeping donkey in your bathtub after 7 p.m. You get the point. The Bible was not written to us. There are things in there that speak to the time and the season, but once you understand them, they make perfect sense. What about this? This is another law. This is in Samoa. It is illegal to forget your wife's birthday. Now, in your house, it might be dangerous to forget your wife's birthday, but it's not illegal. Nobody can prosecute you for it, but you can be prosecuted in Samoa. Our Bible can seem strange because these books, these laws, this poetry were written to a different people in different times with different things going on. But understanding that is useful because this ancient wisdom from people whose focus was seeking to follow God. And they got it horribly wrong at times, just like we get it horribly wrong in times, can be an encouragement for us. Because even though it was in a different time, in a different space, in a different place, they understood something. They learned things as they followed God. God spoke to them. And through them, God has spoken now to us. All of the Bible, every single page, has important insight and instruction for us today. Every word of both the Old and New Testament is there for us to get to know God through what has been communicated. I want to go to the Apostle Paul again. This time, he's writing to a pastor, and he says this. It's 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. All scripture, 
is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What an incredible last phrase. Even though, yes, this is me and my strange Bible. This is me and at times my weird Bible. But this scripture has been breathed, brought into being by God. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Paul says to Timothy, it's God breathed. Sorry, Siri. Go away. It's God breathed. Which means it's inspired. Yes, it has all the marks of humanity. All the marks of the time in which it was written. Because humans wrote it. It contains nuances and subtleties of the times and the cultures and the thinking of when it was written. But despite all of that, it was breathed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's this thread of inspiration from God that carries a message for us and remains powerful even today. Powerful enough to transform lives. It was God-breathed. Paul said to Timothy, it's useful for wisdom. In fact, he says it's wise for salvation. As you believe it, this wisdom from the scripture can lead you to freedom in every circumstance. It can give us a correct perspective and a right response. And that wisdom will continue to be true in every generation. That's the future of the Bible. God's wisdom will be true in every generation. We, and then he, he finishes this phrase by saying, and you will be equipped. It will equip you for life, for purpose. For God is for you and God is with you. He says it will teach you, it will correct you, it will rebuke you, it will train you. It will train you how to live in a right way. Jesus said this about the Bible. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's the future of the Bible. He told a parable. He said there were two men. One built his house on sand. One built his house on rock. The house built on sand when the storms came gets washed away and it doesn't survive. But the house built on rock lasts and stands. And then Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. That's the future of the Bible. Build your life on the wise words of Jesus and his word. The Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And these scriptures teach us today that the Bible is wisdom that saves us, wisdom that rescues us, wisdom that establishes life that overcomes storms, wisdom that trains us, teaches us, corrects us, and causes us to live right. And then the final thing, the third thing I want us to understand about the Bible today is this. The Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's one story arced and linked together all about Jesus. Jesus said it himself in John chapter 5. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you might have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote 
about me. It's all about Jesus. This is the final thing I'll say today. From Genesis to Revelation, all the Bible points to Jesus. It's why Jesus used the Bible to defeat temptation, to answer questions about how we should live, to explain what was truly happening on the cross. When he quotes Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We just have those, that phrase, but the Jews who were listening to Jesus that day and heard him cry, they would know. He's calling on Elijah. He's calling on the God. This is from Psalm 22. And the story of Psalm 22 is that God saves him. And God rescues him. He's calling on God. In fact, they said openly, didn't they? He's calling on God. Let's see if God comes and saves him. And he did. So I want to tell you the story of the Bible in three minutes. It might take me five. But it's all right. I've got six left. I want you to think of a play. And there are six acts. But it's one play. And the first act is the act of creation. Act one creation. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, God creates the world and he dwells with people. Humans are made male and female in his image. Act 2, Genesis 3 to 11, the fall. We choose our way over God's way and disastrous consequences keep playing out. That's what those chapters Chapter 3 to chapter 11 are trying to tell us that when we choose our way, we build a world on violence, we build a world on corruption, we build a world on oppression. Genesis 1 to 11, and over and over again, God has to stop, step in and try to save human beings. Act 2 is the fall. Act 3, the promise. It starts in Genesis chapter 12 where God calls a man called Abraham, but the backstory is that God is going to bless the world. The seed of Abraham would bless the whole world. That's the promise. And that promise was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. This promise through Abraham and through the rest of the Old Testament is this. God will come and rescue us. God will come and save us. He won't send somebody. He will come himself and he will dwell with us again. That's the promise. Act chapter 4. Act chapter 4, Act 4, redemption. Jesus comes, he lives, he dies, he's resurrected, and I believe it with all of my heart. And rescue is provided, salvation is provided, there's redemption, there's a way back, there's a way that God can turn that mess into a message. There's a way that God can turn that fall into a future. There's a way that God can turn things around and move forward. And though we were away from God and walking away from God, we can turn and walk towards God and walk with God. It's redemption. Jesus provided it on the cross. We celebrated it in communion today. It's all about Jesus. It's the one thing he asked us to keep doing. Remember me. Remember me. Remember I've died for your sins. I've shed my blood for your sins. I rose again to give you life and to give you the spirit. This is our, the heart of our life as the community. The, God, the redemption that Jesus provided. Act chapter 5. The gospel. It's our mission to take this good news 
of redemption to all the nations. I read yesterday that God does not have a mission for his church, but God has a church for his mission. God's mission is to spread this good news that whosoever will may come, whosoever will can find forgiveness, whoever a person is can find redemption and can turn around and God can turn the mess into the message, the fall into a future. He can do that. And our mission is to take this good news to all nations. Mark 16 and verse 15. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This is the church age. It's the age we live in. We get to build his church with him. We get to spread the message that God loves you, that he's for you, that he wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want to offer you religion. He doesn't want to offer you some, something dry and dead and lifeless. He wants to offer you a relationship and the fullness of his spirit in your life. What an exciting act to be a part of. You see, we weren't on the scene for the first four acts, but we are now. And this is our mission. So act number six, the final act is renewal. His promise is to renew all things. Jesus will come again and redemption will be completed. And if you read the book of Revelation, God dwells with his people again. And as truly as we live, all the earth is filled again with the glory of the Lord. Let me read a few verses from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven, or a renewed heaven, and a renewed earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. That's a difficult phrase, but we will not explain that today. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. God's not whisking us up to heaven. He's coming to dwell with us in a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That's the future of the Bible. The future of the Bible is it speaks to our future, the future of eternity. It's all about Jesus. And the best way to interpret the Bible is to read it through the lens of Jesus. Because Jesus is what God has to say. He's the Word of God. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Whatever you read, whether you read in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, whether you read in Song of Solomon, 
You need to be 18 to read Song of Solomon. Look for Jesus, whatever you're reading. It's not one book, it's a library. Though it wasn't written to us, it was written for us. And it's a unified story that leads to Jesus. So how can you and I just apply that simply in our lives? We can remember that this book has been inspired by God. Yeah, it's challenging, it's difficult. It's got things we don't understand because they were written at different times in different places to different people with different perspectives. But it was inspired by God. This book is going to speak to you. It can be trusted. God's word is a solid rock that you can build your life on and a foundation for your future. My encouragement is read a little every day. Read a little of Jesus. And finally, how can you apply this message today? Give your life to Jesus and follow him. He is the solid rock that will last all the storms of life, all the storms of the past, all the storms of the present, all the stuff of the future. Give your life to Jesus and follow him. And maybe you're here today and you've never done that or maybe you once did it and you need to recommit your life. Maybe you're watching online or you're in one of our campuses today and you've never done that or you once did it and you need to come back to Jesus today. In a moment, we're gonna pray a prayer. But I'd love you right now just to bow your heads and close your eyes because I wanna lead us in a prayer in a moment, but I wanna give you a moment. This is between you and God. If you have never given your life to Jesus, if you have never decided to follow him, I want you in your heart right now to say, Jesus, I give you my life. Or if you once gave your life to Jesus and you've not been following him, Jesus, I give you my life. Just say that wherever you are. Say it quietly in your home, in your living room. And if you're at home and you're watching online, there's a button that says raise hand or there's a a link that you can click that says raise hand. We'd love you to do that because we'd love to help you on this journey. And if you're in any of our campuses today, right now, while every head's bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Paul, that's me. I'm saying yes to Jesus. I'm giving my life to Jesus. Would you lift your hand right now? Just lift your hand in any of our campuses today. Lord, I thank you for your words. I thank you for the scriptures. I thank you that they can make us wise unto salvation. I thank you that though heaven and earth could pass away, your word will never pass away. We thank you for that today. And I pray, God, that your word will be that light to our path that lamp to our way Father in Jesus name I pray for each and every person here today that you will speak to them as you have done in these few moments through your word I thank you for it in Jesus name and everyone said